we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Um, let me welcome you to Lagos. If you are new with us today, we're so grateful that you walked through these doors. We know um, we are in a very interesting season, and walking into a new place now is probably even more daunting than it was before because you don't know what you're going to expect. So we're glad that you're here with us. We would love to know that you are here with us if uh, by going to this link that you'll see on the screen. Um, this is just a simple way for you to let us know that you are here and so that we can build a relationship with you beyond this date. And if you are new to us in your own home for the first time watching on us line, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us. And we would invite you to do the same. Go to that link as well. Something else I want to remind you about is uh, we have a church family that has been faithful to give, even though we haven't been able to gather in fellowship as a family of God, um, as a church family like we usually do. What a faithful um, just testimony of God's faithful to us as we continue to give. But let me encourage you to continue to do that. We don't pass around offering plates these days, of course. So if you would just go uh, to this link that you have on the screen, you can go ahead and give that way. We do have uh, bins that are set up by uh, the doorways. You can also uh, put your offering in there as well. But continue to be faithful uh, to give uh, during these uh, days. And we're grateful how God is faithful to us as well. Uh, this series has been about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the nature and character of the Holy Spirit for some time now, and uh, today, of course, is no different. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Now, you know, hopefully you know, there are a lot of chapters in the book of Romans that talk about the law, and I don't have time to talk about the law um, but we are going to watch this video. It's put together by the Bible Project, and they do a far better job than I could do anyway. So let's watch this as we prepare for the sermon this morning. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah 
is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law.
so well done. Let's stand together. We're going to read Romans verses 8, 1 through 4, and even at home, uh, I invite you to stand and read these words out loud. It reads this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. So at this point, Paul was in hot water. The Apostle Paul was in hot water. He had been teaching and doing his church planting all across the known world at the time, and he had been saying some things about the law and about Jesus and a lot about grace that has come through Jesus, and people were beginning to misconstrue the things he was saying about the law. It was really like an innocent Facebook post gone awry. You know what I'm talking about. You post something on there and someone takes it and twists it and puts words in your mouth or thoughts in your head you never intended and boom, they start putting comments down and it's uncontrollable. You have comment after comment after comment. Every one of us has seen this happen even if it hasn't happened to you. Well, some of the comments that Paul was receiving was Paul hates the law. Paul says the law is not good. Paul says the law is evil. Paul says we can just sin as much as we want because of grace. And Paul must hate God. Well, Paul wasn't teaching any of those things. And so he sets out to try to explain, especially to his Jewish brothers and sisters who cherished the law and sought to abide by the law, what he was trying to say. And so, in particular, in chapters 7 and 8 of Romans, he tries to unpack those truths. In chapter 7, his whole aim is to make the case that the law can't save anybody. And then in chapter 8, he starts talking about a new way of living, not by the power of sin under the law, but a new way of living by being led by the spirit of life, which fulfills the law. And so that's where we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. For the first time, he's starting to talk about this new way of life. And he's going to contrast, this is what it looks like to live under the law and the power of sin, and this is what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of life for those who belong to Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves right now. So we're going to ask two primary questions. What is it like to live under the law or under the power of sin? under the law, and then what is it like to live being led by the Spirit of life, the Spirit of God? Well, these passages of Scripture make it absolutely clear to us what's going on. So the first thing is that the power of sin, according to verse 1 of Romans 8, condemns us. Paul says, 
No one is condemned if you belong to Jesus. And that infers that the life under the power of sin is a condemned life. So the power of sin condemns us under the law. It makes us dead rebels. Now, I use the word rebel. That can kind of be kind of a cool word, so let me say it differently. The power of sin makes us enemies of God in rebellion against God. That's what the power of sin, and because of that rebellion against God, it condemns us under the law. It says, you are an enemy. You are guilty of my holy law. And this gets to the heart of what Paul has been trying to say to his Jewish brothers and sisters about the effect of the law, because it's not having the effect that they want, and he wants to make it clear. So he writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, he says, At one time I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. The power of sin condemns us, leads, it, leads us to death. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, in other words, they were good, they brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used those good commands to kill me. Now listen, Paul is not saying that somehow the law is sinful and that our sin or your sin is the law's fault. That's not what he means when he says those words, that, goodness, if I didn't know what it meant to covet, if I didn't have the command, I wouldn't have known what it meant to covet. He's not saying that it's the law's fault that he covets. That's not what he's saying at all. But you have to remember, Paul is responding to his critics who their whole life have given themselves to following the law as best as they can so that they can have a righteousness of their own and be approved by God. Does that make sense? They've been looking to the law their whole life. And Paul is saying the law's not doing what you think it's doing. Your efforts to obey the law is not accomplishing the righteous effect that you believe. In fact, it's doing the exact opposite. He says, rather the law... It has awakened that power of sin in us. It's aroused it. It's made things worse, not better. We've always been broken, fallen people with a tendency to do wrong and immoral things before the law even came. Paul's not denying that. What Paul is saying is when the Paul, when the law arrived, and when God in his goodness made a covenant with these people to call them, call them his own, and vice versa, he gave them these ten commandments and further along even more law. He said that law did not accomplish what you think it accomplished. It made matters worse because it made it personal. Made it personal. Their wrongdoing was no longer arbitrary just coming out of their fallenness, but now it was willful rebellion against personal commands from a holy and personal God. You know, there's a big difference between a child who acts out of their fallen nature in a moment and one who chooses to willfully disobey or defiantly disobey their parent in the moment. Some of you know what I'm about to talk about, so... 
Some of you have gotten that call, whether your child was in daycare or not. They're around two years old, and they said, your child bit somebody. You're like, oh, it's the first time. My goodness, they bit somebody. Well, we know that that child, out of frustration and anger, not knowing what else to do, bit that other child. And it was wrong. It was wrong. In fact, there was probably something within that person, that little child, even at two years old, that knew that probably is not the right thing to do. But they've never been told not to bite anyone yet. They come home, and that two-year-old child sitting right there, and dad says, I want you to know that biting is wrong. You can never bite anyone again. Do not bite. It becomes personal. And the next time that, that that child faces frustration and anger moment, not only do the echo of the heart say, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, but they're also hearing the voice of mom and dad. That's exactly what's going on. It goes from just wrongdoing out of anger and frustration from a fallen nature to personal defiance and rebellion against what God has said. That's exactly what the law has done. It has made us rebels and enemies of God. So when God said, have no other gods before me, what do we say? We say, no, I'll go my own way. When he said, don't make idols, we say, no, we think we'll have one in every single room. When he said, don't take my name in vain, we say, God, God who? When he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, we said, every day is my day. When, when he said, honor your parents, we said, we know better than them. When he said, you shall not murder, we said, you know what, my life is far more important than theirs. And when he said, don't steal, we said, I deserve that. And when he said, don't lie, we said, only when it suits me. When he said, don't cover your neighbor's wife, life, and stuff, we said, why do they always get what they want? This is the point he's trying to make to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Don't you see what the law has done? It has awakened that power of sin and has made you enemies of God, rebels against the commands of God at every single turn. And the law, although it's good and it was given by God, is unable to save us from that power of sin that is working that rebellion in us. It simply doesn't have the hands and feet to save. The law can't save you. And that's what he wanted them to know. This law that you're following and you're trying to, trying to follow to the T is only making it worse because it's exposing just how much of a rebel you are. And because you are a rebel, you are condemned by the law, not given life by the law. You deserve to die. In fact, Paul would say, going in further, you're already dead. And you can do nothing about it. Like Lazarus kind of dead. Dead for days and rotting in a tomb kind of dead. With a heart of stone rather than a heart of flesh. Unable to love God, much less love others because of the power of sin. So what is a life lived under the power of sin like? It's the rebel's life. An enemy of God, a condemned life, dead and dying, you are already dead, clouded in the stench of deadness. That's what Paul would say. That's the life lived under the power of sin. You're a dead rebel. But Paul says, you know what? There's a much better way. Don't you see? There's a much better way. 
than trying to pile up a bunch of righteous acts only being a deeper rebel and enemy of God. There's a better way. Verse 1 says this, There is no condemnation of those who belong to Christ Jesus. For those, or if you are in Christ Jesus, or if you belong to Christ Jesus. I mean, that's the, that's the crucial point, right? If you're not condemned by the power of sin, if you belong to Jesus. So how in the world do we go from under the power of sin, being condemned by the law, being dead rebels and enemies of God, to belonging to Jesus and no longer being condemned, but having life. How do we get there? Paul says you can if you live in the power of the Spirit, if you're in Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It unpacks exactly what God has done. You know this. This isn't, this isn't new information. For So rejoice in this and be thankful as we go over this awesome revelation of the good news of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, the law of Moses was unable to save us. It was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature that condemned us under the law and made us dead rebels and enemies of God. So God did what the law could not do. Right? Brothers and sisters, the law is not doing what you think it's going to do. It's not going to save you. It makes matters worse. It makes you more of a rebel and an enemy of God. It awakens that deadness in you, and you are dead in your tracks. So God does what the law is unable to do. And what does God do? He says, uh, God sent his son to take on a body, a man's body, just like our body. He became a man in every single way, but he was not controlled by the power of sin. He did not give in to the lusts of the flesh. In fact, he lived 100% all of his life obeying every single command of the law. He loved God with all of his heart, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled the law. He brought it to its completion, but the Son of God in all of His holiness and righteousness died not because He was a condemned enemy of God, but because you were an enemy of God. And when Jesus died as an enemy of God, taking on the wrath of God, becoming as if He were our sin, and then when He rose again from the grave, it's in that moment that God says, I'm going to transfer all the righteousness of my Son onto those who are willing to believe and put my faith in the work that Jesus has done, not the work that they're trying to do by following the law. And my Son has become a sacrifice. He's become that spotless Lamb of God who has died for the, the rebellion, the, the dead horrible enemy acts of God for those who are in Christ. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He died as the righteous son of God paying the penalty for our condemned rebellion. And we become the very righteousness of God himself if we put our faith in him, satisfying all the demands of the law. That's in verse 4. So what the law could never accomplish, God did through his son, and we call that grace. We can deserve to be condemned, to stay dead, and we find new life and righteousness and forgiveness in Jesus. 
So do you want to be declared righteous? Do you want to belong? If you belong in Christ, do you want to belong? Well, you've got to know that you can't do it by driving another nail into your self-righteous coffin following the law. But you must put your faith in the work that Jesus has done. His following of the law. His righteous life and death on your behalf and victory over sin and death and the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the light of the door. He would say, step into the light. Uh, Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we would say, walk in him. Trust in his goodness and truth and belong. Y'all remember Jesus was standing out of Lazarus' tomb and just moments before he had told um, Martha, Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Let me tell you, in those moments, we know, you know what Jesus is about to do, but Jesus is about to paint a picture for Martha and everyone there, even though they're not aware of what's going on. He's, he's painting them a picture You want to know what it's like to live under the power of the Spirit of God if you belong to Jesus. You want to know what that's like? Let me show you. And he stands out of that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Come back to life. Not because of Lazarus' own power to resurrect himself, but because of the power of Christ to resurrect Lazarus back from the dead. And Jesus says, when he comes out of that tomb, Lazarus comes back to life, take off those stinking grave clothes because that is not who he is anymore. He is alive. And Jesus is trying to convey, you want to know the power, living under the power of the Spirit of God. You want to know how to belong. Well, it's the work that I do in calling the dead to life. We belong by believing and putting our faith and abiding in and leaning in that truth of Jesus rather than anything we can muster on our own because that just kills us. What is it like to live in the Spirit and the power of the Spirit? We've already alluded to a lot of things, but let me be very explicit. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 8 says this, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. To live in the power of the Spirit means that we are free from condemnation that was ours under the law being controlled by the power of sin. Instead... God doesn't condemn us, but he condemns sin and death itself. God declares. He says, you no longer have any hold on this man, this woman, or this child. You, know, you have nothing to hold against them, because now they share in the righteousness of my son. You can't shackle them. You can't enslave them. He has been forgiven. He has been made righteous just as righteous as my son is righteous. And you can see that in verse 3. And so God declares sin as dead, and we are declared righteous in the Spirit or the power of the Spirit of life in us. 
So that's the first thing that happens. When we are living in the Spirit of God, under the power of the Spirit of God, we are declared righteous. Therefore, there is now no condemnation if you belong to Jesus. The second thing is this. In verse 2, And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now listen to this. What Paul is saying, you know, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you're trusting in the works of Christ, the Spirit of God is given to you. The Spirit of life is given to you, and you no longer stand condemned, but you are declared righteous. That's what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. But then he goes a step further, and he says, the power of sin no longer can control you. No longer controls you. He alludes to this reality in verse 4 when he says, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. This is where this replacing that heart of stone with the heart of flesh happens. We're declared righteous and then under the power of the Spirit of life, Something begins to take shape in our heart. It gets softer and softer and softer, and we are freed for the very first time to love and follow and obey God, not out of compulsion, there is a compulsion, but out of a real love and affection for God who's redeemed us and a love for our neighbor. We're free to do the things that God has asked us and longed for us to do, to love Him and love others. And this is the big secret that the enemy does not want you to know. The enemy wants you to continue to live as if you're enslaved to sin, as if you are under the power and control of sin in your life, as if you can't do anything else but sin. But if you're to believe Paul, Paul says that's not true of you anymore. Not only have you been declared righteous, but you have been freed to live righteously to become more and more like Jesus in the everyday things of life. That's the kind of power living in the Spirit provides for you. Don't you want that? Don't you want to love God more and more? You know, Paul testified, he said, every day, every day my life is being renewed. Every day. Even though I'm decaying, I'm getting older because of the effects of sin. One day that won't be the case, but every day my inside man, inner man is being renewed. He's talking about that work. My heart is getting softer. It's getting softer. You don't want to be a rebel enemy of God. And Paul would say, belong to Jesus. Trust in the power of the spirit of life to bear fruit in your life, to love God and love others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Paul's testimony, these beautiful teachings of your spirit and what it's like to live being led by the spirit of God. Lord, help us to get there first. Lead us to a place of greater faith in your son. And Lord, for the people in this room who have not trusted in Jesus but are continuing to look to their own works of righteousness or maybe they don't say they say they don't need God at all. But Lord, may they respond to faith in Jesus so that they can belong be declared righteous, and be empowered to live a brand new way. Lord, help us to do all of that. 
In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask for you just to be still. Sit where you are. Um, Jeremy Spencer is going to play um, just for a few moments as you pray. As you ask God, Lord, show me all the ways that I need to respond. What must I do? How, must I, how might I yield myself more and more to the Spirit in my life? So you be still. Respond to God uh, during this time. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.